You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. It's good to talk with you all once again, and I hope everyone remains safe and healthy. And a big shout out to my friends in Arizona land who have recently been getting hammered by some excruciatingly high temperatures. Holy cow. I'm going to send snow cone hats to all y'all. And once again, I want to thank everyone for your comments and suggestions and general support. A fair number of folks have let me know that they'd listen to the show while they road cruise which I think is pretty cool, and that is one of the scenarios that I considered when putting this project on the rails. So it's very satisfying to hear this. So normally I try to record these intros on Saturdays, a day before the episodes drop, but I'm happy to report that I was otherwise engaged yesterday. I made a trip over to central Indiana, and I met up with three of my friends for some herping and hiking. And i got to tell you, it felt great to be out in the forest again, And it was a big pit viper day. Three copperheads and three timber rattlesnakes. All three of the coppers were under large rocks, and we got a pretty good look at two that were tucked together under a rock slab. And of course, we let them be, and I think I got a few decent headshots using a long lens. But I really love how copperheads tend to congregate, and often when you find one, there's another close by. Now about the three timbers. One came out of some dense brush, and crossed the trail we were walking on, bisecting the group. In other words, two of us were in front of it, and two were behind. Now, that was a bit of a surprise, to say the least. And I was one of the first two people in front, and I heard the snake rattle as it crossed the trail behind me before I turned around to see it, so that was quite a surprise. And, of course, the people behind me saw it as it crossed the trail in front of them. And it was a gravid female, and she headed into another patch of thick brush. And peering into that bunch of vegetation, we spotted a second rattler. And we didn't get a great look at the second snake. It was coiled up kind of back in the salad. But these encounters always bring to mind the speculation about how many pit vipers you pass without actually seeing them. In spite of all your careful searching, you know, they tuck up tight in the brush and in the leaf litter, and they escape all notice. And the third timber of the day was right on the edge of a gravel road and was, you know, just getting ready to cross. This one was about a meter long. It was a male and just a real handsome snake. Indiana has some beautiful timbers, by the way. So we took some photos and we hooked the snake over to the other side and let it go into the woods. And so that was not a bad day at all. And like many of you, I think about rattlesnakes quite a bit. And But after last week's chat with Emily Taylor, I've amped up the thought processes, and yesterday's timbers bumped it up even further. Uh, So it's good to have some pleasant things to think about. So let's get to this week's guest. For episode 13, I talk with Joshua Wallace, who hails from Washington State. Now, Josh and I have been on a few herp trips together, including an awesome rattlesnake adventure in Baja, California. And along with being a funny guy with a great sense of humor, 
He's also a very studious field herper, and he, and he works hard to understand not only the herps, but the landscape and habitat as well. And, of course, any dude who loves salamanders is okay in my book. He's also a great photographer, and he's really come a long way with that in just a few short years. And I'm envious, really, because uh, I'm like twice his age, and I'm still working to figure out some basic stuff. Now, some episodes back, we talked with Matt Sullivan, who takes his camera into the world beneath the waves, and he had some great photos. And our guest this week has a different approach. When he isn't busy shooting herps or the stunning natural areas in the Pacific Northwest, Josh Wallace points his camera up at the night sky. Uh, astrophotography is what it's often called, and his shots are amazing. I mean, mind-blown, beautiful stuff. And what I really like about Josh's sky images is that the, the landscape or seascape or both, I mean, basically our planet, is, is part of the scene. And uh, his portfolio page is Karina Photography, so be sure to follow the link to his work in the show notes. Now, I have one regret for this interview. My slow and sluggish self forgot to talk with Josh about Neowise, the most recent comet which was visible in the night sky. But you can visit Josh's portfolio page and see some really spectacular Neowise images. So let's get to our talk with Josh. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with Josh Wallace. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, how's it going? It's great so to be Josh here. So Josh lives in Washington, the state of Washington. And what town is it you live in? A little town called Enumclaw. It's uh, right below Mount Rainier, basically. I'm the last town Enumclaw. to Rainier leaving the Seattle metro. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. <laughs> and you live there with your wife, Kira, and your daughter, Ellie, correct? I do. Yep. How and old is Ellie? Uh, Ellie is three and a half. Wow. Yeah, three okay. and a half and loves nothing more than going out and exploring. Cool, cool. That's great to hear. And so we're talking with you today about a couple of interesting things. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to get you on the show. I enjoy, uh, I've enjoyed our time in the field together. We've done a number of herping trips together, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess we'll get into at some point. But tell us a little bit before we get started. Uh, tell, well, tell us what you do for a living. What is it that you're up, uh, up so to over there in Ravenclaw, Washington? I didn't right. get it right. I know. <laughs> um, I am actually totally different from a biology field. I'm a sales manager. Um, I'm the new car sales manager at a Jeep dealership up here. Um, awesome. And I've been in the car business now for uh, this September will be 10 years in the car business. Um, wow. And uh, I got into the car business to pay my way through school to uh, become a, a professional herpetologist. And uh, I fell in love with it. Fell in love with the way the industry is, and it's like I'll keep herping as my passion, and do this as my career. So right, okay, mm -hmm. cool, very good. So tell us how you got into herping. What is it about amphibians and reptiles? When did that first catch you by the throat? And uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, as long as I can remember going back, um, and my parents even have stories of. I was born down Georgia, uh, family lived down there of green and olds and little, those introduced geckos running around me as a little baby. Uh, my first reptile memory is catching a green and all my parent grandparents porch when I was like four years old. And after that day, I couldn't do anything else. I didn't want to talk I about see. anything else. I wanted, didn't want to do anything else, but 
learn about reptiles and amphibians, fell in love with the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And um, wow. it Were just went from there. Were you a Steve Irwin kid? <laughs> you know, you I Steve was. Uh, I was born in 1990, so the Steve Irwin's heyday was in my formative 8 to 12 age. So I'd rush home from school and watch Steve Irwin, Jeff Corwin, all those guys. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. Let me go catch these little garter snakes in, in the field behind the house and think it's a black mamba or a king cobra or something like that. Yeah. I, I always like to talk to people who cut their teeth in the Irwin slash Corwin period because you guys got some takeaway messages from those programs and from those personalities that I never got whenever they were done examining some cool critter, whatever it is, uh, they put it back. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's like, Oh, here's some nature. Isn't this cool? And then we put it back and then we move on. So I always appreciated that message, I think. And I think there's just this huge number of people that got that instilled in them, whether they realize it or not, that's, they're just, thinking well, that's how we do it right we we enjoy it and then we put it back 100 percent. it's amazing how that it was like for me it was their passion that they had for doing it and it it, it came through across the camera really well for both of them and it captured my passion and then instead of holding that permanently it was like you're you have this amazing opportunity to interact with this amazing piece of life on this planet that probably no other select few other human beings are ever going to see and you have that moment you share that moment with that animal and then the moments you move on to the next one and you let that animal continue its life you continue yours and there's kind of like this kind of magic behind that that i always loved yeah yeah so you just kind of kept rolling and then you found herping on the internet maybe after that, or I did, uh, man, being a young teen, um, I got my first big regional field guide, uh, was written by Alan St. John and it's the oh, best yeah. field guide ever made. Um, and one of the things that I loved about it was at the end of each species, he had this field story. And he would write a story about observing the species out in the field and, and interacting. It was like, oh, and like learning that, wait, there's more than just garter snakes in Washington and yeah. Oregon. And so what's the name of the book? Uh, reptiles of the Northwest. Ah. I think it might be Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, it's just Reptiles of the Northwest. Um, it's got a beautiful red spotted garter snake on the cover. And it's the best field guide ever written. And I saw that. I was like, oh, my God. I read that book everywhere. And I'm like, I'm going to find out more about this. So went online. I found kingsnake.com. This was right uh -oh. as Field Herp Forum just started. And I don't know if you remember the old Field Herping section of Kingsnake. And well, yes, yes, I do. Yep, and pretty much we all realized how much the deli cuppers kind of sucked, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, you know, then all of a sudden field herp field herp forum came out, and yeah, that that's was sort of a, a bad mix. That that place was a bad mix of the captive people and the folks that wanted to do field herping. And, it really uh, was. It, it didn't really always work very well. It's kind of competing messages of, at least I always felt, you know, of what what the true purpose of it was. And, you know, I love the, the herper side of it, the more naturalist side and seeing what these animals are like in the wild versus 
you know, just spend their entire time in a cage. Right. right. <laughs> and, and really field herping was still trying to organize itself as an activity, uh, as a recreational activity, if you will. Right. I mean, yeah, everyone I, I, had their own way of doing it. And it was great that that came through because it really instilled in the subculture the right and wrong way to do things. And with some of the stuff that would come out later, it was really great because if the subculture can't police itself, that means outside forces have to do it. And I think we've done a yeah. real good job of setting the ethics and the rules and teaching new people as they come in, people who are in the that that w don't want to follow those ethics eliminating them or sending them out and it's i think we've done a really good job because our our passion is inherently dangerous it does inherently sometimes leads itself to gray areas um in legality and so if we're not watching that it can be really bad and you know ruin it for all of us yeah and certainly People can misbehave and, and give the whole thing a bad name, and that certainly has happened. But I think, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, you know, going back to the Irwin Corwin thing, they, they, those guys kind of set up some some good groundwork mm -hmm. uh, for a whole generation of of young people who were, you know, really didn't have a lot of bad habits. And you know, of course, they're you know, those guys are kind of off the air and out of out of. They're not really relevant to the. The new crop of kids coming up, so I, I don't know how that's all going to work out. So I guess you're going to have to, you're going to have to set examples for them. <laughs> I hope to. I know there's some really great, you know, YouTube and TikTok and some of the social media channels that are being occupied. There's some really great, uh, you know, like the Kreutzers, uh, Smet Logic, you know, Noah, Noah Fields. Yeah. These YouTube channels that hopefully are instilling those same. And, you know, as our ethics have developed, like, you know, compare the free handling methods of, of a Steve Irwin versus how we interact with venomous reptiles now um, and teaching the next group to yeah. be even more so. Yeah, I, I enjoy uh, I haven't really seen many of Noah's videos, but I enjoy uh, Rob Kreutzer's videos. I've uh, been friends for a, a while and I actually uh, just uh, interviewed him yesterday for the show. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have him airing on the, on the show uh, sometime this summer here. And yeah. uh, I enjoy I enjoy what he does. It's it's a different medium for my generation. That's it's it's not something that we easily picked up. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, and I have a short attention span, so I, I have a little trouble with that with uh, long videos. But some of the folks do some good jobs uh, putting mm -hmm with their, with their programming, with their video programming, and they keep it interesting and lively like Rob and, and Noah and uh, uh, Lou, the pilot, the pilot guy, uh, they keep it mm -hmm. fairly interesting. And uh, uh, hopefully some of the other kids that are doing this will take some lessons and, and learn not to be too boring with it because <laughs> some of them are kind right. of boring. Uh, but, yeah, Man, that's the challenge of video. Maybe hurting some feelings there, but uh, it is the challenge of video. So um, I think the folks that make it about the animal or about the experience uh, do better than those who, you know, point the camera at themselves a little too much, maybe. Right. And always it's just that selfie mode and <laughs> perfect, always talking. And um, yeah, but you know, as, as society moves forward and always the same thing, you know, the people are great, get to the forefront, uh, the cream rises and, you know, the, everything moves forward in a positive manner. Um, yeah. And then, 
it's amazing. Like just thinking back with the, I was 15 when I went on my first big trip and, um, Andy O'Connor and Jeremiah Easter picked me up at my house. Two dudes I just met on the internet. <laughs> my parents are like, are you sure about this? He goes, spent two weeks out in the Mojave desert. Um, and they knock on my parents' house, open the door and, uh, Jeremiah and Andy are standing there. Everything's all packed. And Andy's got this huge blood spot on his hat because the uh, hatchback from Jeremiah's car had tore a hole in his head. So oh, that, that's the first view my parents had of her purse <laughs> was that. So that, and then it just devolved from there. <laughs> but they let you go anyway. Yeah, they let me go anyway. I don't think they like me that much. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> They let me go, and yeah, after it all, that, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. It's like all my best friends, really, all the people I truly stay in touch with. I pretty much met on that website, which is amazing. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. On King Snake. Oh, yeah. On Field Herb Forum. Field Herb yeah. Forum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you know, unfortunately, that bulletin board type of forum just couldn't hold up to you know the more personal Facebook. Uh, social me- type social media, you know, it's more me centered than us centered, if you will. You know, Facebook Definitely. and Twitter are more they're about, hey, this is what I'm up to. And that forum was much more interactive, but it was a lot of work too. It was a lot of work to make posts. And if you want to make a post of any size with 50 pictures in it, uh, man, that took forever. And, uh, days of work trying to get all the photo bucket links to link right (laughs) yeah and heaven help you if you have some kind of connectivity issue and you lose it all i lost so many huge posts that i (laughs) typed up and written up and then the computer has some error times out or the power glitches and well there was four hours of work (laughs) yep yeah, so I learned how to. I would just write it all out in in uh, Word or in a notebook or, or notepad, and uh, you know, then dump it in there and save myself a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, do do you do a lot of herping around the your area, the Pacific Northwest? I do a ton around here. Actually, herping in the Northwest is a very interesting type of herping. Um, probably the most beautiful landscapes in the country are up here, uh, which makes it easy. Not too heavy on the reptiles. We got a few. We got really pretty garter snakes, rubber boa, um, and some of the drier parts. The ringneck snakes up here are fantastic. They get almost regal-like in size, and they're really pretty. Um, you get some, you know, down south or in the Columbia River. You get uh, California ki- mountain king snakes and regular uh-huh. California king snakes down south. But the real gem of the Northwest is all the salamanders. That's the best yes. part. You guys have some amazing salamanders. Big old dicamptodon. We got a couple different species of dicamptodon, um, a bunch of different unique plethodon species. That's actually my main thing is I really love the plethodon species that we have up here and finding and understanding where their distributions are, what their little microhabitat preferences are, and uh, especially the distribution side because they're mostly stream associated and you can kind of map out where the glaciers were during the last ice age 
the last glaciation based off the ranges of these salamanders and where little areas of refugium were. And it's really fascinating to see that. And, um, man, this range, there was a refugium, so you can find them in the other spot. It was covered by ice. So there's no, no salamanders there because they haven't been able to disperse back. Interesting. I've never harped up that way, but I, it's on my list. Closest I ever came was, uh, Oregon. I did some herping around Portland many years ago and, um, been wanting to get up back up that way ever since. So Portland's awesome. Um, sadly the most beautiful place on the planet burned down a couple years back. Uh, we had a really bad drought year in the Columbia river gorge, which to South was like almost like central Appalachians in terms of salamanders. Oh, really? Beautiful waterfalls, rainforest, everything. Um, end of a dry summer, some idiot kids threw some fireworks off a gorge um, and caught the rainforest on fire. And oh, no. unfortunately, most of it burned. There's a few areas that are still there, but a lot of some just the best salamandering in the country just is not even open yet. A few years later. Oh, boy. It'll take a while for that re- to recover. It will. Um, I'm hoping it recovers better because it had been it gotten very popular. And I started noticing some salamander declines. So hopefully just with it being closed and rested, hopefully things can overall just come back a lot better. You think people collect salamanders? I mean, is that an issue or is this just a, there's just traffic through there or. I think just a lot of traffic, um, especially in some of the streams that were really popular. Um, You'd see a lot of uh, unfortunately crushed uh, coastal giant salamanders. Um, and their larva under rocks that were just stepped on and trampled over carelessly. And then people just ripping at the moss and taking away the microhabitat. Um, up in the Northwest, things are really spread out, but very locally abundant. So the challenge is finding an area where a species occurs. And then once you get that, you can usually find them consistently in, in, in good numbers. But the challenge is finding that spot where they're at. Do you have those knuckleheads who ride their ATVs up mountain streams and things like that? Not so much here, which is nice. We have some um, of that in Illinois. Some of the um, some of the areas have it a little bit, but there's some really nice coastal duny type situations where a lot of people go out and take their ATVs, and luckily okay. that doesn't put a huge pressure on on most herbs. There's not a okay. lot out there on those coastal dunes up here because it's just so cold. I see. Cool. Uh, I know you've been to Snake Road, and what, where else have you been herping? Uh, Try to go all over. Um, got a little tight, tight knit group. Um, been to Arizona, Colorado, all over the Northwest, down through Nevada. The Mojave Desert is my favorite place on the planet. Uh, down through Arizona, did an amazing trip with you down through Baja a few years back. Yes, which was the most fun thing ever. Yeah. Um, the croat boat tour the croat boat <laughs> yeah Man, that was and then having the croat boat break down in the middle of the ocean that was fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think my just to explain a little bit we went and visited a number of islands in the the gulf of california to look for and and uh, observe uh, endemic rattlesnake species i you know the ones that are uh, stuck on islands and have evolved into their own species. And we did some of that. And we also did some herping around Baja, Baja Norte inland. And then we went to the Pacific coast and 
little herb in there. And we got in a boat and went out to an island uh, out near Ensenada to track down a mountain king. The favorite part and the, the most sketchy part of that whole 10-day trip was sitting in a little rowboat that seemed to be about four foot long uh, with a, a, a guy from the crew rowing us to the island and one herper in front of him and one behind and the water is about an inch below the the uh, the top of the boat and uh, boy that was kind of sketchy. I think you uh, and you and Matt, um, Matt Cage, were on the boat together, and the water was right on the lip. I, I yep. thought for sure you guys were going to sink. I got my hind end wet because the waves kept coming over the back end of the boat and and splashing me. So when I got off there, I was pretty soggy, and uh, of course I was very tense because I was just waiting for the just waiting for that boat to just disappear under the waves and me with it. You know, it was probably the dumbest gear. thing we've ever done while herping. And in, in the list of dumb things we've done is quite extensive. So for that to be yeah. up at the top, that was – but it worked out. We all yeah. made it there. We all made it off, and we found the we found the gold. So We, we found the snake. We found the, the mountain king snake, which really isn't a mountain king snake, I guess, but right. uh, a <laughs> Harari. Uh, we all got on the Harari Ferry and Harari went over ferry. the Harari Ferry's little rowboat. And we went over to the island, and it was it was pretty fun. Um, but uh, so I understand that Mexico has kind of changed their policy. Even though we had a, a, a permit to go there, uh, they're changing their policy for a number of their islands uh, uh, in the Gulf and on the Pacific side. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with us, but uh, they're changing their policy about visiting those places. And I don't think there's a lot of islands you can actually get to anymore with, you know, I mean, you can go there, but you know, you really need a permit. Um, like Santa, Santa Catalina Island in uh, the middle of Baja, off the uh, Gulf of California. That's in, uh, I think, what they call a, a marine reserve or a national park, if you will. So it's all part of a park system, and uh, I still mm. think you can go there. But you have to pay for a wristband, and you basically sign up to go. So, but it's, it's still possible. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it remains to be seen how all that works out. I hope it works out in a positive manner. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of places get loved to death, and there's a lot of people who are more on the nefarious side that fortunately take advantage of these places, and then it gets locked down. And hopefully these things help separate the people who are truly in it for the love and the passion versus people who just want to, you know, bag an animal real quick. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's some of that that goes on. Um uh, I, I wish it. I wish it didn't happen, but I'm sure it does. How's that? Um, right, same here. <laughs> but you know, hopefully, yeah. stuff like this and your book and everything helps drive that. Yeah, I, I, to me, there's just no good reason to do that. You're, I mean, what are you making out of it? Beer money? I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> right. Uh, you're not making a ton of money. Can't really make a living doing that. So I don't know why people do it, but uh, mm-hmm. what they do. Um, Although beer money is the most important part of any trip budget, and that's <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, um, so you came to Snake Road too with uh, a few years ago. Uh, I did. And- I made the made the the holy pilgrimage, and it was so hot that weekend. It was like into the nineties and dry and muggy. Um, did but you it enjoy was, it though? Oh, uh, it was the time of my life. It was amazing. We're rolling into the campground there, um, forgetting the name of the little campground, the uh, the rugged one, and 
sitting around the camp, Pine Hills, yeah, and just drinking. And then, like, I need to go find an animal, so I bailed out of the the campfire and walked the road at night. And that road is a special place. I know it's it's the place everyone goes to, but there's just something magical about that place. And it was uh, just a ton of fun just walking up and down that road and seeing the diversity and yeah. It was weird. And there's a reason why so many people go there. Mm-hmm. And you, you've hit upon that because it is a very special place um, for any number of reasons. Um, of course, you can, you know, see any number of pit vipers on any given day. And if you're if you're new to herping and you really haven't interacted with it with a, like a pit viper, uh, that's a great place to start because uh, you can kind of see them and study them and you know, it's, it's all hands off. So you get a chance to interact with the animal and uh, get to learn about them a little bit. Uh, and, and they're readily, readily accessible there. Accessible, uh, safe. There's open ground. There's plenty of yeah. experienced people there on a given time. So the odds are you'll probably run into someone who knows what they're doing as well. It's just a lovely, easy place to, and it just feels herpy. It is. There's a it's, lot of herpetofauna there. It's just amazing. You just get that feeling when you when you walk out there. You just touch like, oh my, there's snakes here. I know it. There's frogs here. Um, <laughs> and especially yeah. me compared to the Northwest, where every find you have is hours of work, hours of time in the field, hours of time researching. To just go to a spot where it's like, oh, here they are. This is great. <laughs> that yeah. was nice. Well, that's that's part of the magic too. Is the animals have to move. They have to move from where they live to where they spend the winter. Mm-hmm. And the road just happens to bisect that. And so you just encounter those animals as they make their way across the road. And it, it's just great. You know, you can see lots of cool stuff. You don't have to go catch stuff or flip stuff or uh, run stuff down. They just, they, they're, they're just there. And, right. <laughs> uh, you know, you have this great uh, opportunity to observe things without doing any work or without really causing a lot of, uh, you know, you don't really put a lot of stress on the animals. They're just crossing the road. You're not, nobody's really grab has to grab anything up and secure it. Uh, so it's, it's pretty low pressure. And of course, you know, the, the area is in that, uh, what they call a, a research natural area and it's protected. And uh, they don't really don't mind if you take a photo of a green snake, but they really don't want you running around with it in your hand or, you know, they don't want you manhandling it and things like that. And you might, you actually might get a ticket for that kind of thing, but, but you can certainly photograph those things and observe them and nudge them a little bit and make them coil up and take their picture and help them move off the road. So they don't get stepped on. And then you go on to the next. Exactly. And it, it, it's a great place just for that. And you don't have that. We don't feel that pressure of, Oh man, I got to bag this animal. Oh man, I got to do this. And it's just just this perfect little spot, and it, right at that intersection of of the all the different biomes and little ecosystems. And I, I can't wait to get back. Um, I'm hoping to get back. I think in a couple of years, a total eclipse is going to go right over Snake Road in April. Um, oh, really? Which okay. would be that's what I'm aiming for because it'd be amazing to see a, a total eclipse from those pine hills there. Yeah, and so that kind of leads to uh, another uh, topic here, and that is your 
you're a, a, obviously a herb photographer, but you're also a night sky photographer, or what would you call yourself? A celestial uh, photographer? Uh, astrophotographer. Um, I, astroscapes. Um, I, I really love astroscapes. Um, so landscapes, but with the night sky. I, I hope to get into some deep sky imaging here before too long. Uh, so what but, is deep sky imaging? Uh, taking pictures of like the Orion Nebula or just of the Andromeda Galaxy. And oh, the stuff to, that's really far away. The stuff that's really far away to get uh, some of the astrophotographers first that I love. They'll spend three months getting exposures of the night sky and stacking these photos together to bring out the actual colors and details. And um, it, it's a very labor intensive. Um, it sounds very beautiful complex. thing. It, it's extremely complex. Take a picture of the same point in the sky every night. That, that requires some calculations, doesn't it? It does. And even the, the, the astroscapes require a lot and you gotta, you're out there in the dark and there's no light. You're getting the starlight and you got to line up where the Milky Way core is going to be or where that constellation is going to be in relation to the foreground that you're trying to shoot. And uh, so that's one thing I was, there's, it's a very scientific form of art and that's what drew me to it. I see. And, when you talk about, uh, and I'm sure not everybody knows what photo stacking is, we're, we're talking about taking a, a whole series of pictures and then sort of merging them together into one one image. Yes. Yeah, you, you merge them in together, um, and it, it reduces the noise, the noise in the photo, because you are shooting such a long exposure um, with these digital sensors. They, it, it adds a lot of noise the longer your exposure is. Um, even if you lower your ISO for the longer exposure, just the simple fact of your shutter being open that long. Um, but you stack okay. several of these back together and it reduces your noise back. Um, one of the next things that I need to get for my astrophotography is a uh, tracker because one of the biggest challenges in night sky photography is the Earth's rotating. And if you if you're taking a picture for over a certain amount of time, uh, the the stars start trailing because the Earth's moving away from them, <laughs> while the Earth's spinning as it's spinning. So they're so they're no longer a, points. A device that keeps your camera moving in relation At the rate to of the spin of the Earth. Ah. Okay. Which is amazing. So it, it, it sounds moves expensive. Your, they are, unfortunately. So uh, mostly singles, but uh, if you stack them together, you can bring out some amazing detail. And really these, these night images for people to just take these pictures, it, it's only really in the last like 10 years or so that sensors have been able to adequately capture the darkness like that. And then the light that comes from that darkness, the complexity of the Milky Way, the complexity of all these nebula and these stars and the dark areas. One of my favorite spots is there's this uh, dark nebula near the core of the Milky Way that looks like a horse. And it's called the dark nebula. Close. It's uh, called the dark horse nebula. Oh, okay. I'm yep. stand correct. <laughs> um, but okay. it, it's, it's very similar, and that's a spot of the Milky Way that's obscured. That's why it looks dark, because there's these non-luminous gases that are filling that area. And we don't ah. know what's in them, really, um, which is kind of fascinating and amazing. Ah, and so I, I detect an interest in astrophysics and interstellar 
uh, phenomena as well here. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, it's all, all science is amazing and our spot and, you know, from the herping side of thing, you know, we're looking at a frog that might live a couple of seasons out in the wild, regular lifespan, maybe a little longer. And then compare that to the tree it was climbing on. That's you get an old growth rainforest tree out here. That's a thousand years old. And then the rocks that it's on are several millions of years old, but the Milky Way is 13 billion. (laughs) And you're looking across and you're catching light. Um, I've got Milky Way arches and you can get the Andromeda galaxy on the one side. It's really cool to get the two galaxies together, but Andromeda is two and a half million light years away from us. Yeah. You know, that's, that's light going way back. That's just now reaching us. And, and there's some magic. You look up, it's it's a time, it's a time machine up there, isn't it? It really you're looking is. up and, and you're seeing something that the light that left that galaxy over 2 million years ago. Mm-hmm. It, 100%. And it just puts it in perspective. We're all, um, it, it makes us both where we're just part of this big cosmic sea, but we're also special. We're the only planet that we know where all these different life forms live. Yeah. You know, we, we, we assume there's other life out there. There's got to be, but we're the only spot where we know it. And so it really puts that perspective of just how special and unique every life form on this planet is. Yeah. Um, Cause we're, we're the only pretty, ones that we know of. <laughs> yeah. Very poetic. Uh, yeah. And we're the only ones that have photo stacking and things like right. that too. <laughs> and, and focus stacking and, and pano merging and um, taking night sky photos is probably the scariest thing to do on the planet um especially up where i am because you're up in the middle of nowhere you want no light pollution and you got to have the lights off for 20 30 seconds while you're taking the exposure and you're out in sasquatch country and you gotta have it be pure dark you're just hearing all the sounds of everything all around you and uh and then the lights come back uh last year i was taking i knew i knew sasquatch would come on the show some at some point you know, he, he's an icon up here and, yeah. you know, if you, it, it, herping streams at middle of the night, you can't hear anything. You can't see anything beyond your flashlight um, and you can't hear anything because of the sound of the waterfall. Uh, you get this feeling the whole time that something's watching you and <laughs> you got to be a little careful. You're watching over your back. It's just the you know, expanse of these dark woods. Um, so do you feel, are you, are you maybe creeping yourself out a little bit? Sometimes I, I try to do it with at least one other person out there. <laughs> it makes it a little <laughs> bit uh, more pleasant, um, but it, it adds that extra level of creativity and try to line up. Like I'll try to line up the Milky Way core with like Mount St. Helens or Mount Rainier or some of these other volcanoes or, uh, last August, I had the most amazing night of shooting. Uh, we were on the Olympic coast. My family, we went out there, we kind of camped out. Um, we kind of camped out and, uh, it was a really warm day and I'm getting ready for my Astro shots. And my wife comes up to me. It's like, man, the waves are really bright. And this is probably about an hour and a half after sunset and the twilight's going away. And I'm like, wait we shouldn't really be able to see the waves right now. So I really quickly just took an exposure and my camera lit up and the entire ocean was glowing blue um, from bioluminescent. What the heck was going on there? 
Uh, it was oh. luminescent algae, and oh. each wave was agitating them. And it was amazing because I was doing these longer exposures to get to try to get the stars. So I'd time it with a wave, and as the entire wave line went during the entire time my exposure was running, so it was like the water was this electric blue, and then you see the oranges and the purples and the reds and the yellows of the Milky Way, oh, along wow. with this blue water. And, you know, that's another, yeah. it, it was that night was, a, we were watching the waves all night and there's zero light pollution out in this part of the world. Um, and it was just magical. We stayed out so late. I had to work the next day. I was just, uh, you know, dead the entire day, but. Um, yeah, it was totally worth it though, right? hundred percent. The the dog and the, the kid, she was just before she turned three, they were sleeping on the beach. Uh, we made this little <laughs> campfire away where it wouldn't, you know, add light to my shots unless I wanted it to. And um, just watching that. And then the, it, go, it goes back to that perspective thing. There was light from these microscopic organisms that we can't even see, along with light from the center of the galaxy in one picture. And that to me is just amazing. And I, I, I like how you appreciate the juxtaposition here. That's very cool. Uh, and you, uh, you have uh, a little uh, portfolio. You do, you have a little uh, photography business or a little photography. What do you call it? A studio or yeah? Uh, I, I, what I what is a, the name of that? Um, my photography is uh, Sharina Photography. Um, rubber boa are my favorite animal on the planet. If I were to find one animal, it would be rubber boa, and their genus is Sharina. So I okay. took them C-H-A-R-I-N-A. as my A R I N A. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it comes from the Greek word that means delightful. So I thought that was perfect. So um, kind of delightful photography there. And it's mostly landscapes and herbs and a little bit of sea life. And um, I want to. We'll we'll get the we'll get a link in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. uh, I'd love to. uh, So you can show off your your cool photography. Uh, and I love it. And, you know, I've, I got into photography after that Baja trip and then that fire in the Columbia River Gorge. And I realized just how not permanent these landscapes that I love are. And yeah. I wanted to capture that, capture that while I still could and hopefully share it with other people to make them understand just how magical they are. I self taught so, myself. Mean, you took pictures before, right? You took pictures before this, but you made a conscious decision to really step into it. Correct. Well, and like my pictures were my cell phone and uh, that, that Herrera, I tried having a DSLR once back in like 2014 and I couldn't take a picture to save my life. And then, so I just had my cell phone and I remember that Herrera, my cell phone did not take a single good picture of it. And that's an animal I will never see again, you know, unless the stars really align, but I'll probably never see another one. And yeah. I was like, I need to get a camera. I, I hate to tell you this, but the only good shot I got of that snake was with my cell phone. I saw the, the, the one out in the sun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I should have yeah. tried it out in the sun, I think. But yeah, uh, you at least were, were got one. <laughs> All yeah. mine made them look green. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My regular, my regular. That was that was the trip when I got back and saw the photos from that trip. I was shooting. Oh, I was shooting my last point and shoot, which was a Panasonic FZ 1000. And 
it's a really good point and shoot, but I got back and I shook it and I could hear the sand rolling around inside it. <laughs> and some of the, you know, once in a lifetime snake photos, some of them were just not good. It was really hard to take. So I'm like, well, I'm going to take a step forward as well. <laughs> and I went right. and picked, uh, got back into DSLR, picked up a, a Panasonic G9 Micro Four Thirds and some lenses. And for shooting herps, that G9 is probably the best camera out there. It's um, a pretty good one. For what we do, the lenses are lightweight with the Micro Four Thirds. You have the built-in crop factor for shooting some of the subjects that we shoot that you don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to be. And I mean, the difference in like the full-frame lenses versus the Micro Four Thirds lenses is huge. Um, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I actually wanted to to go to a full-frame system, but my bank account said <laughs> no. You know. Because I it retired that year too, so I was like, on, you know, I had X number of dollars to spend, and that was it. Um, mm-hmm. So that the G9 was a really good fit. And you're right; it it actually works out as pretty good herping camera uh, with just three or four lenses. You can catch most of what you need to catch uh, in the herp world, from you know big herps to small herps. And mm-hmm. uh, and you shoot what? What kind of rig do you shoot? What do you? Uh, I have a think? Nikon D750. And then I got a whole smattering of different lenses. Um, my my kit's really heavy because I like shooting very unique, kind of specialized um, uh, points of view with my photography. I really love the wide-angle animal and habitat photos. Um, so I have a nice 15-millimeter macro lens. That's this um, best $100 I ever spent in my life. <laughs> It's uh, from a brand called uh, Opteca. There's a more expensive one from Venus, um, Iowa, but the Opteca one works is basically the same lens. And that's how I, the, uh, my really cool salamander and waterfall photos were with that lens. I Um, see. And that lens is amazing because it can focus right on the front element, basically. And then um, for my macro stuff, I have a Tamron 90 millimeter macro. And then my main Astro lens is um, a Rokinon 24 millimeter f1.4 lens. So it's super fast, super low aperture. And the best the reason why that's my main Astro lens is that 1.4 aperture allows so much light in. I yeah. can even stop down a little bit and still capture all the light from the stars and the galaxy and everything and add yeah. a little bit more sharpness. Um Cause that's the real challenge with like the astrophotography is you really need to be 2.8 and lower to really capture the night sky. I see. Hmm. And yeah, the I, I, frame size means everything with that. Okay. It seems uh, like an entirely different art form almost from her photography and nature photography. It really is. Um, there's some similarities. I got a couple of really cool pictures I've been trying to get of snakes outside at night with the night sky behind them oh yeah i've seen some guys do that yeah um and try and get the milky way with them and it try to balance it um i was just taking a picture of a of a uh midget faded rattlesnake um con color in wyoming and trying to manually focus on the snake and do my panorama to get the night sky (laughs) there's this highly venomous uh reptile in front of me so luckily i had a couple of my friends helping out (laughs) i think Uh, i saw a picture of that snake maybe Um, i think i sent it to you you, um i think either you sent it to me or, or maybe you uh you loaned it to emily taylor for her her uh 
rattlesnake uh, month on Twitter. I did. I sent I it over to yeah. her with that. Um, it's probably my favorite photo I've ever taken. I'm going to post it really publicly here soon. I just want to okay. let a little bit of the time uh, uh, pass by um, from okay. capture. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on the uh, we'll put that on the in the show notes, and if you want, we can use that one or you think Gladly. it's a good enough shot. So that yeah, would be no, fun. I, I'd love to. It's a shot I had planned for about six months. That's one of the things about astrophotography. It's a little different. Her photography is very in that moment. Um, but with the astro, it takes a lot of planning because the moon isn't right. If the clouds uh, aren't right. Um, the, that, uh, the shot that we're talking about right now, it was the last night in this moon cycle that I would have been able to capture that photo because the moon is just so bright. Um, if the moon's up or just set in the sky, most of the stars are washed away. Most of the fine detail of the sky just disappears. Oh, really? So hmm. okay. um, it takes a lot of planning and understanding where it's going to be and lining up and all right, here it is. And our eyes can't see all that detail, even in pure darkness. Um, I see. Are there books on this or is this something you, you learn by getting on astrophotography forums and learning at the foot of those who have come before, how does that work? Um, YouTube is the best thing YouTube. that's ever happened. It always comes back to YouTube. It really does. <laughs> I um, there's some really amazing, you know, name drop. There's some guys like Nick Page and um, uh, this guy Gavin Hardcastle, and there's some uh, uh, Michael Shane Bloom. There's some amazing astrophotographers that they put these videos up on youtube and that's how i learned how to take pictures was watching these guys on youtube i was like i'm gonna okay. get into photography i didn't know how to do anything you know the youtube algorithm knows all they heard me talking to someone on the mic that picked up that i was trying to do pictures and all of a sudden i had these suggested videos about doing photography and i couldn't stop watching them and learn huh. so much uh, just from watching these guys, how they did their processing. Because that's the other thing with astrophotography is it requires a lot of post-processing um, okay. to bring everything out. Um, you have all this data in your raw file, and you have to do the processing to bring out what it actually is. And I, uh, I learned from them. Like, no crazy formal training, no big books, but watching them, learning what they did, and then taking that out in the field and trying to apply my own style to it. Um there's not hmm. a lot of kind of macro close-up Milky Way shots, and that's kind of where I'm trying to uh, carve out a little niche. I see. Okay. All right. Well, I look forward to, to going back and looking at some of your photos. Or your, I would call them images, I guess, um, after, yeah. after hearing you talk more about them. Um, for me, where what I try to do with my uh, photography is uh, real-to-experience. So... Um, not a big, huge composite fan where someone's like, oh, yeah, here's this picture and the sky was from this date and the foreground was from this completely different place. But um, I like that's, taking, a different, that's a different art form altogether. That's how I feel for it. It's it's real. It, it, it's amazing. It's art. It can be appreciated, um, but it kind of comes into the realm of digital digital art. Uh, versus photography but all of like my photography is real to the experience that i was feeling and seeing at that time luckily now with some of the post-processing and some of the camera tricks like focus stacking and 
some exposure blending, we can capture what we saw and what we felt at that time, even though, you know, we may be running out of the limitations of the camera. Um, but that's where I draw the line. I won't do something that wasn't there, basically. That wasn't how I was perceiving gotcha. that moment. Um, and that that's the fun gotcha. of creating that art because I can't draw. I can't do a stick figure. So that's <laughs> why I got to got to expand. <laughs> that's why I'm behind the microphone. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, Mike, you have a face for radio. I just want you to know I that. do. <laughs> I do. And uh, you won't find anybody to argue with that. Right. Um, <laughs> what were you doing in Wyoming anyway? Uh, we were... were um, we were out looking for being crazy herpers, trying to, uh, uh, check out Wyoming. There's a few species of, uh, reptile that die off their range. Their range, uh, runs out just before that it enters the state. Um, and we were out trying to, uh, look for some of those animals and see if ah, we can document okay. them in the state of Wyoming. And, um, as an excuse to get out with some of my favorite people on the planet and spend okay. four days looking for reptiles, drinking a lot of beer and trying to push the envelope. Exactly. Um, and really been into that side of the, the herping world is, you know, doing, unfortunately a lot of agencies and stuff like that are, are stretched pretty thin right now. And hopefully some of the people like us that are just passionate about the field, we can do stuff to help, help the professional bios and the field itself move forward and right. some yeah. contributions to it. We, we have a lot of the same friends and, and we all like to get out there and help out and mm-hmm. give a little back. Right. And we get to herp and we get to help. Right. It's so, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, use our powers for good um, as a, yeah. um, you know, reference there. And uh, sadly we missed out on our main target. Um, we got some tracks that, look pretty promising but it's it's a tough environment there for reptiles there's only a few months of the year that they have a real good growing season um it's it's way too cold way too high um but then the summer it's baking hot and you're kind of outside the range of a lot of the monsoonal moisture and stuff like that so there's a very limited period of time that's why you know those midget faded rattlesnakes are so special because it's a hard scrabble life for them and the, it shows when I you, call them faded midgets. Hey, that works too. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't see where one, one board takes preference over another precedence over another. They, right. They're, they're, they're just they're beautiful. Midgets. Honestly, I'm yeah. shocked that Nate yeah. hasn't been changed a little bit, but, um, yeah. but that's and where I've only is. seen a couple and neither one of them were faded. They were, they look almost looked like prairie rattlers, little prairies. They look like that, and then from what I've seen, especially when they're younger, they like all the Western rattlesnake complex kind of has that same look when they're young, and then they kind of branch out as they morph into adulthood. So they, they get the faded midget gets more faded as it gets older. From what I've seen, yeah, I we see. got a really nice faded one, and that photo that you saw there, really yeah. nice faded faded sandy background, and uh, they're they're a really cool animal. Yeah, I agree. I, I can't wait to go see some more. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these one of these days, I'm going to get back out that way. Um, I'm actually going to Colorado next week to help Copark, uh, Colorado Partners in Amphibian and Reptile Conservation. I'm going out there to help with their field survey in awesome. eastern Colorado. So I did that uh, last year. It was the, the most fun ever. 
You're yeah, gonna love I it. Mean, yeah, it's it's hot. And you're treasuring around, but you might see some cool stuff, and you're hanging out with some cool people, and you might meet some new people. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's and fun. you're giving back. You're helping out in this area of Colorado yeah. where there's a lot of reptiles and a lot yeah. that still needs to be known. Uh, last year down there, we got some smooth shaft cells, which were new to the state, basically. Yeah, and that was exciting. I'm looking at that with a interested eye. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, on my trip last year, I passed out in the Subaru Outback of a guy I just met. That was fantastic. Took a nap in his car for a couple hours in the heat <laughs> of the day. Um, it's yeah. amazing how this community brings it together. Um, yeah. We were road cruising that night and not seeing much. And uh, we saw a kangaroo rat and Andrew slams on his brakes and starts yelling uh, K-Rat and our buddy in the backseat wakes up from a deep sleep, stumbles out of the car and chases down this kangaroo rat and catches it. Catches it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That was, so those are the type of shenanigans that, that go on, which is a lot of fun. Okay. What do you do but, with it once you catch it? Uh, you know, we didn't think that far. Uh, we took some pictures <laughs> <laughs> and let it on its that's, way. That's amazing. But, I've never, I've never even tried to catch one. So he said he wanted to do one while we were there. Like we found a wood house toad at a gas station right in front of the gas station bathroom. And, uh, we went to take pictures of it. And, uh, one of us had bought a little seven 11 snack. And of course the wood house toad decided to pee all over our food. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so oh yeah herping's fun they say burning is fun but herping is is better oh significantly more fun you know we actually get a kind of you can get you can get pooped on by a bird i guess but you'll never have a you know the pleasure of toad pee on your on your breakfast burrito exactly (laughs) right after getting bit by a really angry little rat snake that (laughs) you saved in front of a truck and then he wanted to reward you for that by uh just bite me a bunch. So. I, they're so they're so ungrateful, aren't they? I know, they're right? And pooping and musking. Oh, so like, ungrateful. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't see it that way, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no. So uh, I also wanted to, to mention too that, uh, and I've you've heard this from me before, but you're pretty handy with a herp meme. Um, yeah. Uh, lots of people make memes. And most of them are really bad at it. And you all know who I'm talking about because I'm talking about you. You're all bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're one of the few that make uh, what I think are clever, funny, on point memes. Brian Hughes is another one of my favorites. And there's a few other people who do. But uh, I think it's a real art form. Uh, do you? Do you think that's a, a sort of an art form to put together? A meme that's, you know, it's on point, it's yeah. funny and relevant, and is... Um... From a point of ego, yes. <laughs> you know, let's get all <laughs> the, the stuff there. Um, you know, but my dad told me at a young age, he's like, son, if you're going to be ugly, you better be funny. Um, so <laughs> he, he knew what was coming with my life. So um, I had to hone that. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up with the internet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still a younger guy, although I'm getting a lot of gray in my beard now. Um, but growing up with the internet, you learn kind of the, the meme culture and the way to, and it's just using a photo in conjunction with a joke and timing that out. Um, 
and then trying the point is that clever turn of phrase within it and that's that's where people fall flat a little bit and where i try to you know set mine apart um it's kind of hard to like describe them but um like the baja trip we took um crotalis uh on helensis the on hell island rattlesnake uh, which are a giant speckled rattlesnake. They get huge. Most speckled rattlesnakes are small. One of my favorite memes is old Tom and Jerry, where Tom's walking out of his little hole in the wall, and he's all small, and he falls into a bowl of milk, and then he lifts up, and he's all buffed and ripped. Well, you know, I labeled <laughs> small Tom as uh, Crotalus Mitchelli. The thing of milk was, you know, uh, on Hell Island. And then when he comes out, he's all ripped. That's on Helensis, uh, yes. which is hilarious to, you know, the 200 people on the planet that love rattlesnakes. But yeah, um, and, and, and understand island biogeography. Right. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's amazing. It's funny seeing the people who get certain jokes and those who don't. And, um, you know, I have various levels of joke. Um, if anyone who's spent a lot of time with me knows I have a pretty dark sense of humor. And so I can go from completely wholesome to pretty dark. It just depends on what it is. And um, just as long as it's funny, that's what I go for. Um, okay. Well, you know, you can't you, take you this too seriously. <laughs> no. And that's, that's just the thing. You haven't, uh, you know, you haven't violated any, any uh, rules of time and space here. You, you know, it's, it's just all in good fun. And uh, <laughs> you can be also be good at things while you're having fun too. And I, I really appreciate your memes because yeah, I know you're having a blast with it, but it's also good. So yeah, uh, uh, thank you. I for should that. probably, I'm going to go dig out one of your memes and post it on the show notes. I think, you know? yeah, definitely. Maybe, I'll, I'll... maybe one of the more appropriate one, uh, age appropriate, uh, uh, show appropriate ones, but <laughs> I have a bunch of really good, wholesome yeah. memes. Uh, here's another great example is like a, a picture of the library of Alexandria burning. And, um, I can you know, caption is like the great field hurt forum server collapse. Oh of my 09. gosh. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you have you to know, be around long enough to understand if you had been there to understand what that was, but yeah, that is still yeah. a, 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 a tragedy. I, I wish we could capture some of those posts back, but yeah. from the early for days for of the of you, hobby. Uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, the field hurt forum was at, at one point was the single point of connectivity for uh, the, the field herping community. And uh, we had everybody on there. We had biologists on there. We had conservationists. We had field herpers. You name it. We had everybody on there and they all contributed and everybody argued and everybody backed and forth and uh, lots of cool stuff was posted there. Lots of great information, lots of uh, just amazing photos you could learn so much from the the bios on there. The you know the people that were doing research, they were on there. They they could teach you a lot of stuff, and the whole thing crashed uh, one day, and there was no backup, uh, or the backup failed, or something, and all of that information was gone. For one good. day, I went to log on, and it was just it was gone. And yeah. um, I think uh, I think many a man shed a tear that day. I think um, I almost cried. It was it was pretty tough. I remember so. just before that, I was well, it was a little bit before that. I was uh, still in middle school, maybe start of high school. Um, this one user made this 
salamander post. He like only ever posted snakes. And then one day he made a post called a couple of salamanders. And oh, it was literally, yep, KW's post. Yeah. And it was yeah. literally every salamander species in the United States. And all, and it yeah. crashed. But he, the didn't, in- he didn't just post a picture of every salamander. He said something about each one. Each, it was the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah, and he crashed the computer lab. I everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it, it was probably back then. It was probably several gigabytes worth of photos, which was a lot back then. But but he took everyone to school that day, and everyone. it must have taken him. It must have taken him a couple days to put that post together. But uh, you and I, and I know there are hundreds of other of our friends and other people that remember that post just because it just kept going on and on and on <laughs> and every scientific name was right. And there was information about everything, every salamander, and, you know, it wasn't just like a picture after a picture, but it was like, boom, 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 boom. And you could take and cut, cut that out and print it and make a book and have a salamander book. And uh, it was that good. It and, was uh, insane. All gone. And, and yep. All gone. No more. <laughs> um, but yeah. And it goes back to the community thing. Said all of my best friends, you, Tim, and like all these people in your other shows that I know of or at least heard of from this, because it's such a tight knit group of people who are passionate about this. And um, that that passion doesn't matter what else you're into, because there's there's only a select few of us. And uh, well, it's getting bigger though. It's it's getting bigger and. Um... Um, more folks are kind of flexing their muscles and stretching their wings a little bit. It, it used to be a lot fewer people that were willing to go to other countries, uh, but I see a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the younger guys now are dipping their toes in, uh, you know, other continents and other countries and finding that they like it. So I think that's that's one of the good that, things you know, of that, social that, media. That I club think. is getting bigger, you know, it, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's a good thing, you know, um, showing people that it's possible. And yeah, I mean, yeah. even my or as I like to call it, I, I like to call it giving them permission. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. It's okay. You it's know. okay to go spend all yeah. day walking around a swamp looking for a little salamander. Yeah. It's totally, it's, yeah. it's not that weird. <laughs> no. Or, you know, if you have, uh, if you have some money, you can go to Thailand and, you know, Go it's hurt Thailand. Some of the amazing, like your Thailand people, trip was amazing. Do, you know? Some of our other trips. And the cool thing too, that I love about that is you're supporting generally smaller, more rural communities when you do travel and not just the one resort that's owned by some Americans. You're, you're actually truly yeah. supporting the people that live there. Yeah. Do you get this feel of, I remember some of the, like in Mexico, some of the villages we went into, just the nicest people on the planet. It was amazing. Yeah. And just totally hospitable and just letting us have fun. And, you know, I've heard the stories from other people that have traveled. And it's that same, same story when you get out, because that's where the herbs usually are anyways. You got to get out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And it's great to give your money to local communities. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you, you go to some small town, you, you stay in some small village or nearby and you buy, you know, you stay at a hotel there or whatever and you buy your gas there and you buy your food there, you know, your beer and you're there for uh, a few days and you, you're pumping money into their economy. 
And, you know, it's all, it's all good. And if you're, you know, good people and, and uh, everybody has a good time, then, uh, then they look favorably upon it. And then, you know, they look forward to the next group that comes in. And, you know, I, I think a lot of adventure travels like that, you know, burgers are really good at that kind of thing. Uh, Harpers are getting pretty good at, at that. And, you know, just folks in general that like the natural world, uh, get out there and travel and go to remote places and uh, make friends. And uh, they learn that um, people in other countries aren't really scary at all, despite what you might hear on the news. Um, right. I'm sure you, know, you feel that the same sort of you get that same sort of feeling. You like, oh, man, it's just like a, another another day. And this dude is, you know, we could uh, we could be living down the street from each other. You know, mm-hmm. what's the old quote? Travels the death of prejudice or something along those lines that um, I think Mark Twain said that and, uh, or something similar. Um, and it's fun. It gives you a reason to get out into these areas. And I do love uh, I've got uh, one of my coworkers right now. Probably next week, he's he wants me to go take him out and uh, show him some rattlesnakes. So we're going to go road cruising after work. Uh, one day oh. and and i'm looking forward to that uh, i've had so many people that i've sold uh, being in the car business i sold cars to or i worked with that have messaged me years later like hey i saw this snake while i was you know doing something out in my yard and instead of killing it i let it be or i moved it away real quick and oh, wow. and you know that's someone who would have just indiscriminately took a shovel to it before and, yeah. and they, they want to talk they want to let you know because they're proud of themselves Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're like, hey, look, look, I'm I'm now this. This is who I am now. Right. And, uh, <laughs> thought you should know. And so that's it, pretty cool. And this is amazing. It just goes to show just how much this stuff is just learned and through. And you know, people sometimes talk disparagingly about on the social media side of things, but that's one of the best things about social media is that it does show the right way to do this and the the magic of it and people say oh wait no these things are actually really cool it's not just the same fears same thing with the travel the same fears you've been told your entire life and i just love that so before we go what Mm -hmm. uh where would you like to go um what's on your radar for herb travel if we ever get out from under this this viral epidemic i i'm a real big there's a couple of things I really want to do. One, I'm a big history nerd. So any herp trip that I can kind of merge with some history and I would love to do something along those lines. Uh, you know, for example, what would be crazy is, you know, back in the Mexican American war, you know, general Scott basically threw off his supply lines and marched from Veracruz to Mexico city. I would love to do something following sort of that route. Or ah. some of the places in Europe where these amphibians are breeding in World War One shell holes that have become ponds in the hundred years since that amphibians hmm. breed in. And uh, the other thing is, I would love to do some stuff in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, the Southern Sky. Um, there's a lot more complexity in the sky in the Southern Hemisphere than the Northern Hemisphere. Um, there's a couple of sub galaxies of the Milky Way. Uh, the melangenic clouds that you can see only from the Southern Hemisphere and the Milky Way, the way we're angled, the Milky Way is significantly higher in the sky. In the Northern Hemisphere, we kind of just get the bottom of the core along the horizon. 
but in the southern hemisphere you'll get the core in the middle of the sky basically and then with the tails um so I've, i always want to go down there maybe go to like new zealand see some tuataras ah. and and take some pictures yes. of the night sky out there look or for australia so that's wow. stuff I would love to do. And then just continuing more where there's can be some knowledge learned and some new experiences to be had. You know, we only get a short time here, so I want to see yeah. as much as I can. <laughs> right. Sounds, it sounds great. So it's always good to talk to you. You're a man with his feet on the ground and his head in the stars. And uh, I appreciate that about you. Yeah. Which and, is an accomplishment because uh, if you ever met me, I'm super short. So <laughs> um <laughs> I guess on my tippy toes to reach a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, right. it is what it is, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody's short on radio. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, listen, Josh, it's great to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we could just sit here and chat for another hour. Um, oh, but yeah. We'll have you come back on the show again sometime, and uh, maybe I'll get a chance to record you in the field sometime. That would be fun because I, would I, love I to. really definitely... enjoy my in-person interviews uh they they do much better than uh, this, this dangled internet um right but, uh, we'll I, see about I, that. I love hearing the like the peru ones and hearing the birds and everything in the background oh, yeah. as you're recording it just it creates that atmosphere but i love yeah. to, and I, to yeah, a lot of people told me that they, they really enjoy that i'm like hmm yeah how do i how do i put that in there <laughs> you know but that was right. all natural it just short it just happened so you know that was that was the best part yeah. of it. So, anything else before we go? Uh, no, just uh, again, thanks for thanks for having me on. It was a real pleasure talking about it, and I'll send you that stuff. And you know, hopefully, we can continue and with your platform. I, I love what you're doing. I love your book. I love this podcast, oh, and hopefully, it makes people understand. And, and I think, and I know it will, just how amazing this is. And it goes back to that permission thing and. I was like, man, this is a field that people can get into, and it's yes, everyone in it's really open, and goes back to the meme thing, really willing to educate, and you know, hopefully, this is a gateway to you know, little to people to do more. So, really appreciate so. it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, good talking to you, man. And All I'll right, see you in the field one, sometime. All right, All bye. Right. That's it for episode 13. I want to thank my guest, Joshua Wallace, for coming on the show. It's always great to talk to you, Josh. And folks, be sure to check out the show notes for more info on Josh's photography work at Karina Photography. And as always, thanks to everyone for your comments, suggestions, emails, and everything else this past week. I really appreciate the support. It helps me continue to have fun with the project, and I hope you do too. And I'm still working on the merch stuff, by the way, so stay tuned. Just a couple more things before I go. You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And in the meantime, please take good care of yourselves. And don't forget to hurt better.